You're listening to the David Bumble Networking Podcast. Very good day interviewing a lot of Cisco engineers. We discuss all things networking, CCNA, CCNP, CCIE, Python, automation, the books, the exams, the future, your career. Another long day at Cisco Live. We talk to the authors, the experts, the leaders, and people like you and me. David Bumble coming to you from Oxford in the United Kingdom. Now, here's your host, David Bumble. Hey everyone, it's David Bumble coming to you from Oxford in the United Kingdom and I've got a really special guest on the call today. It's the famous, or I think famous, Hank Preston from the US. Hank is part of DevNet, but I think he can talk more about that himself. So Hank, please introduce yourself, tell us a bit about yourself and especially, you know, you are very heavily involved in DevNet and sort of network automation. How did you get into that? Where did you come from? Were you a traditional network engineer? So are you a CCMP, CCIE, those kind of things? And then, you know, how did you get into sort of network automation? Sure. Thanks, David. Um, So as David mentioned, my name is Hank Preston. I'm a developer evangelist and principal engineer in Cisco's DevNet program. And DevNet is Cisco's developer enablement program. And we focus on helping um, anybody that's out there that's interested in using Cisco's platforms um, through its APIs, uh, through an automation framework, uh, configuration management strategies, cloud, kind of any of that would fit into the purview of DevNet. Um, my background is I've been with Cisco for about almost nine years now. I started in the field as a systems engineer helping enterprise customers deploy um, primarily data center and network infrastructure components. And so Nexus platforms, UCS, ACI, uh, Catalyst switches, ISR routers, and all of those. And so from that, you might get the kind of the the assumption that I do have a traditional networking background, and you'd be right. Um, I came up um, through the certification path like many of us have. So I started out with CCNA, um, went through CCNP, uh, moved out of route switch for a little bit into wireless and security and got some certifications there and worked my way finally all the way up to CCIE uh, just a few years ago um, in route switch. So I I do have that core networking background that goes through, and I still fundamentally love tinkering with making packets fly and building networks and experimenting with um, all the protocols that are out there. Um, But today, what I'm finding is that uh, kind of the the interest in doing that in this new way through different APIs and and through some of the, the programmability frameworks, because the first time I configured a routing protocol, it was pretty awesome. The second time I, I learned a little bit more about it, but when you get into that point where you're trying to configure routing across 500 devices across the network, or even just 10 devices, it gets a little bit kind of old doing the same thing over and over and over again. So how did you transition from like traditional networking into sort of this network automation programmability thing? Yeah, it was kind of like a, a, a initially it was a bit of a slow roll. So I'd been with Cisco kind of working in that, um, kind of role is in data center for a long time. Um, and then what we were starting to see was this this advent of cloud coming in. Uh, and this was, I would say, I don't know, four or five years ago now, um, where the early days of when cloud was becoming relevant and customers were starting to, to talk about cloud deployments and uh, microservice applications and cloud native, all these things were starting to get new. Yeah. And, um, Cisco asked me, uh, or I say ask, it might have been a bit of a voluntold, but I didn't, I didn't mind that much, um, to go take a look and try to dive a little bit more into this cloud space. And, and part of the reason I think I was selected 
is before getting hardcore into the networking world, I actually went through school and had a bit of a background in a little bit of software development, um, web design, database design. Um, I'd done a little bit of that kind of prior to going a whole hog into the networking space. And so I had, a, I had the background that kind of suited me yeah. well to start looking at some of these development areas. But I hadn't touched it in years. And so I had the opportunity to kind of jump in and take some, some classes in application development. Uh, I took um, one of the best technology instructor in or techn technical instruction classes I've ever had before, which was a, a, two, week, a two weeks of Python training. Um, and it was, I think then, I, and I, I credit, I always go back to these classes that I took to credit yeah. my, my interest and kind of love and, and understanding of what the future of networking might be with Python because my previous experience with programming was probably like many folks in comp sci classes and tinkering with Java or C++ or, or JavaScript and it just it, it wasn't intuitive I got a little yeah. bit tired of all the curly braces and all these things but when I, I saw how easy it was to get started with Python and how quickly you could do some really interesting things um, I kind of fell back in love with with programming in general and then having this opportunity to apply it into networking um, was kind of that, that spark I needed to, to dive in. And then I just kind of started tackling it. Um, every opportunity I had to, to pick up some other project or an opportunity to, to learn some more about um, automation or learn about some new network management tool that kind of had these, these types of characteristics, I just jumped in and, and took the opportunity and, and kind of self-pushed self my way in that direction until kind of I pivoted pretty hard into full-time focusing in on programmability topics. I mean, that's interesting. So I was going to ask you this. So you, your experience was that you started with Python first, kind of as that, that, mm -hmm. that was like the entry point into network automation, network programmability. So would you recommend that as a first step or would you recommend some other technology for someone who wants to get started in this stuff? Yeah, so I think that there's a lot of different entry points. For me, if, if I think Python is a great place to go because you can yeah. learn a lot about general automation concepts, um, uh, dealing with logic, uh, how variables work, functions work, um, just by doing some introductory Python pieces. And, and when I started, there wasn't a lot of, of options out there. There were a few places you could go. But what's nice today is you can actually grab an introduction to Python course focused on domain specific topics. And so we're network engineers. And so there's there are several different Python for network engineers. And I even saw, um, I think it came across Twitter the other day, which was Python for wireless engineers. Oh, wow. And so you can find these classes now that, that are focused in that space. Now, I also think that there's a benefit to doing, I'll call it a, a, a more puristic Python uh, education. Um, I'll teach classes occasionally on kind of Python fundamentals. And I go back and forth from, from using examples that have networking um, in them right from the start to examples that use just generic things. Like if we're creating a list, um, maybe I'll create a list of interfaces in one example. And then in another example, maybe I create a list of fruits or colors or sports teams. And what I've actually found is there's, especially early on in some of the, the initial fundamental pieces of learning the topics, if you don't have the networking in there and you're working with network engineers, they can focus on the Python without getting kind of dragged into what the networking pieces are and what's the implication of having that subnet mask on an interface yeah. or 
or where are you getting this data model for this network? Or that doesn't look like my network pieces. Um, when that is completely irrelevant to learning the fundamentals of Python. Um, and so I, I think I usually give people the advice, you're probably going to have to take an intro to Python class at least twice because nobody learns everything completely the first time. And so maybe do, do an option, do one class focused on networking, do one class that's more kind of generic that's out there. Um, and that'll help you get a really good solid foundation um, in the topics that are there. I mean, that's a really good point. Um... I didn't think about that, but it's a really good point. The guys who take pure Python for networking courses might get hung up on the networking side instead of focusing on the mm -hmm. Python side. It's a really good point, that. So, I mean, yep. he has another question to kind of like mix it up a bit. Would you recommend Ansible or Python first or Python Ansible or concentrate on <laughs> Python and then worry about Ansible later? I get asked this a lot. So, I mean, throwing it at you now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I get the question all the time too, and I don't know if there's there's a good answer. Um, but I'll give yeah. my opinion, which is which makes this probably as good a point as any to to point out that though I work for Cisco and DevNet in general, these are my opinions and not necessarily kind of the uh, the gospel as of Cisco or as of DevNet. So on yeah. those areas, but I think my opinions align pretty well um, with what you're going to hear from other folks at Cisco's as well. Um, but on the specific question, Python versus Ansible. Um, I think some of it comes down to what you're, why you're, why you're diving in initially. If you work at a company and you've been told that you're going to use Ansible for automation, um, that's a great place to start because you've got a compelling event that goes through. Um, if you are working someplace and, and you're using some Python library and you need more fundamentals, that makes sense. Um, but that's typically not where many of us are. We're, we're usually trying to do this self-study or go after it. And so my recommendation to folks is before you jump into some abstracted language or framework, which is what Ansible is, Ansible's just a, um, it, it's a, it's a configuration management framework written in Python. So under the hood is Python. And when things go wrong in Ansible, you are back to looking at Python. And so if you don't have the fundamental knowledge about how Python works, some of the, the, in, the things about Ansible will, will seem weird and you won't quite understand kind of how they go through on that. Um, and so I, I tend to tell people, hey, start out with Python, get some basic programming fundamentals down. Um, and along with that, it's your really benefit, um, you'll have a lot of benefits if you dive in and learn more about some of the data formats that are there. And so, uh, what is YAML and what is JSON and what is XML and how do you work with them and how are they constructed and when might you choose one versus another? Get some of those pieces, at least comfort and, and understanding behind them before you try to pull yourself up and start looking at, um, at something like an Ansible or, or a Puppet or a Salt or these other tools that are there. Um, a, a corollary I give on this is, is when we're learning routing as a network engineer, most of us don't start with BGP and, and ASPath manipulation and all of those other pieces. We start out with RIP because get the fundamentals under the way, figure out the basic how structure goes in. And it's not an exact uh, analogy to the Python Ansible discussion, but I think that there's still some relevance there. Is, is start with the fundamentals before you dive into these higher level abstractions because Ansible is great and you can do some things pretty easily with it, but very quickly you're going to find yourself not understanding what's going on behind, behind the magic box if you don't have some of that basic knowledge underway. I think that's a great answer. I mean, I, I would agree with that fully. I, um, I also originally have some basic 
programming knowledge before I spent many, many years as a network engineer. But it feels to me like, as you said, Ansible is like this black box that you have little control over, whereas Python, once you get used to the language, it just gives you so much control and you can create things yourself. And I don't know if you agree with this, but I think that's sort of a paradigm shift from network engineer to sort of programmer type. Rather than just using tools, you need to learn to be able to create your own tools. And that gives you a lot of freedom Mm -hmm. and power. I don't know if, what what do you think about that? No, I I totally agree on that. And I think what I've actually seen, and I've seen this in my own uh, career, is I start, you you start with Python, and then you get frustrated with doing everything yourself, and then you move to a tool like Ansible, and then you get frustrated with the limitations that that tool has, and so you start creating things yourself, yeah. and then you, you find some new library and you bounce back and forth. And I think that that's healthy, and that's the way that it goes in. Um, I think what's key about, the, the key decision we have to make is what to create ourselves and when to consume from somebody else. And, and this yeah. isn't an open source versus commercial product thing. I, I think that's irrelevant. Um, the discussions I have with with engineers, and I even have these, sometimes I have to have these more often with, with IT executives, is you have to figure out, you, you have a set amount of time and resources that you can invest in any project. Um, you have to figure out where it makes the most sense to invest those resources. For some organizations, it makes a ton of sense to invest those resources in building your own management and automation frameworks from scratch because uh, maybe you're, it just fits your resources the well. Um, for a lot of folks, it doesn't make a ton of sense to build everything from scratch. It Agreed, makes yeah. sense to pick things uh, and then build on top of those. And so, for example, if, if you go the Python route, um, very few of us are building our own um, TCP socket initialization libraries inside of Python. And, and you might laugh at me even mentioning that because it seems so obvious that you wouldn't do yeah. it. But we're leveraging code that somebody else wrote, whether that's uh, Paramico or NetMiko or the request library or NC client. Um, we're building on top of those libraries to build logic that's there. Um, Ansible then builds on top of those libraries to send configuration commands or API payloads to the devices that are there. And so there's these different entry points in when you can kind of get into your automation or your programmability projects. And, and what's important is kind of evaluating what's the, what's the most valuable entry point? What's going to give you the most bang for your personal investment in time? Yeah. Um, and focus there. And then also recognize that that point of entry may change over time. I really like that. I mean, it's a, it's a great answer. I mean, I think initially, like we've said, Python is a good way to get started. But like you said, you want to leverage the work that others have done, and Ansible mm-hmm. kind of makes it a lot easier as you, especially as you deploy it, as you, as you're deploying to many many devices. But um, it's great. I mean, it's great how you said that Ansible is based on Python. So sometimes Ansible doesn't do what you want it to do, then you go back to Python. But Python is a good way to mm-hmm. get started. So here's another question. I mean, just yes. Sorry, go on, Hank. I was just going to say, just yesterday, I was doing some Ansible work, and I had to debug Python tr- stack traces because I had upgraded code all over the place and so the playbook that worked yesterday or the day before wasn't working anymore and so I was exposed all I saw were the python errors and I had to go figure out what the problem was so so I wanted to ask you about what people should study but before I do that um well actually I'll come back to it I was going to ask you about APIs versus CLI um but before mm-hmm. we talk about APIs versus CLI and, and and like your experience of that I get asked this a lot so let's say I'm a brand new person, I need to make a decision. Should I study CCNA 
or should I study Python? What should I do? And mm-hmm. then the same for like, should I go for CCMP or Python? And then mm-hmm. what about CCIE? Should I go for CCIE or Python? And I, I say Python, but I mean just network automation in general. So what would you advise? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a question I get probably more more often than anybody on Twitter or through LinkedIn comments. And I actually got it so often, I went and wrote a blog post with my answer so I could just start sending people <laughs> to there then rewriting the answer up. Um, but the, the short version is, I think it's both. What you need to do is you, you have to go back and forth. Um, and so let's say you just finished the, the CCENT, right? You just passed the first exam in for the CCNE, for the CCNA. Um, maybe take a break and go do a Python class yeah. and then get some comfort level there. And then when that's done, go back and finish the CCNA. And then before you jump into the CCNP, um, study some some APIs or study some some new interface level or become familiar with, with Linux or Docker and then go back and look at the CCNP. Um, the reason is what we're finding today is the most valuable engineers to organizations have not just a huge depth of experience in one domain. Um, you need a little bit of that. Like you have to be a you have to be a skilled engineer someplace, right? You have to add something yeah. to the team, but you also have to be able to kind of understand your domain as it relates to everything else around it. And so no longer can you be a network engineer and just say, okay, well, well, stuff runs on the network, right? We, we have to know a little bit about what's running on the network because the network is starting to creep its way into the edge at servers. And it's with containerization, um, the network is creeping into containers. And then we get into the fact that most of us in the future are not going to be pushing out manual CLI commands to configure our network. We're, we're going to be doing this through automation. And so we need to understand those automation pieces that are there. And so we need this balance. Now, all that said, I also say don't give up on your CCNA, your CCNP, and your CCIE and just go whole hog into Python. Um, I've seen plenty of cases of folks that, that just knew Python and were trying to do network automation, causing just as many problems as the reverse. You really do need a balance of both. You need, you need to, fundamental networking skills, right? Whether you're doing it from hand or you're doing it in an automated fashion to design, engineer, and operate um, a network, you need to know how networks work. And there still is um, no better way to kind of learn the fundamentals of networking, whether you're using Cisco kit or not, than going through those those certification pro- uh, programs. Um, it was one of the things that still boggles my mind and really kind of impresses me is how much just I learned about OSPF and RIP and DHCP, the protocols and how they work through my studies um, before I ever learned how to apply those and configure them on top of a, a Cisco router. Um, so I, I still think it's it's this back and forth, like balance yourself out. And at some point you may find yourself going and spending six months on one topic because it makes sense for you in that point in your career. But early on, don't go that don't don't commit yourself that much and don't commit all of your time that much into any one topic. Yeah, so that's interesting. So in, in the US, um, where you based, um, employers are looking for this kind of hybrid next generation, I don't know what salesy term to use, engineer, where they know both mm-hmm. kind of worlds. Is that right? Absolutely. Um, w- uh, there's different names that are out there. In the software development space, what they they often are called are these full stack engineers. These guys yeah. that understand a little bit about databases, a little bit about how um, 
business logic and middleware works and a little bit about front end and maybe they specialize in one of those. Um, personally, I, I'm starting to call that next generation network engineer the net DevOps engineer um, because I think that is bringing in the topics that are there. It's bringing in the automation. It's bringing in uh, the culture change. It's bringing in the, the ideas around operation and continuous improvement. Um, because I think network automation is really just the first step in this this transition that the network the networking industry is having. Yeah. Um, if all we do is automate the configuration of our devices, um, that's great. I mean, don't get me wrong; that's a that's an amazing step to get to. Um, but the actual benefits to the underlying organization are minimized if you aren't also. Um, changing the way that you approach um, network agility, if you're not changing the way that you kind of uh, approach change controls, um, how we monitor the network and understand um, whether it's healthy or not healthy, um, how we evaluate and test the network if it's operating successfully. Like all of that is really critical to this next generation of network operations. Um, but those that's not automation, right? Automation is, okay, I need to send out a bunch of configuration, whether that's in a CLI or an API payload is irrelevant. Um, that's, that's a first step and it's an important first step, but there's way more to it than just, can I use Ansible to push out my configs? Like it's just, there's more to it than that. Yeah, so that's a really good point. I mean, hopefully we're gonna have many calls discussing, you know, mm -hmm. various topics, because this is like a huge area of, you know, of topics and expert, expertise. Um, so the term that you used is net DevOps, is that right? It is, it, and it's there's a bit of a, um, I don't wanna say battle, uh, but there's definitely multiple terms that are trying to, to mean the same thing floating around the yeah. industry now. And I, I think it's like like any of these, these areas, like um, beta versus VHS and, and HD DVD versus Blu-rays and all of these, like at some point, one of these terms will come through, but there's, there's net DevOps, which is the term I favor. Um, some people are just continuing to call it net ops. There's, there's even folks that are using dev net ops. Um, super net ops is a term that's out there in some places. Uh, network reliability, engineering. Um, there's a lot of terms that I, for me, all kind of are pushing in this same direction, which is this evolution. Um, the reason I use net DevOps um, is that, the, and the way I define it, is that it's the the combination and the application of the DevOps principles, the the culture, best practices, tooling, um, ideas from software development, which is where DevOps started, to networking. And I, I still firmly believe that at least for now, we can't just call it DevOps for like as the networking piece of this, because developing software um, and what works there can't, doesn't automatically translate to network operations and engineering. Like there are differences to it. And it's it's the the why I call it net DevOps. And that's kind of the, the variation or kind of the flavor of DevOps ideas and concepts when you apply them to networking. So software has CICD, continuous development, and you hear a ton about that. Well, how does CICD work inside of the network? What would it take to do that? What are the tools that are in place? What are the things that are different? Um, that's part of net DevOps. Um, network um, monitoring and moving from kind of the old forensic models with SNMP and syslog and NetFlow to adopting some of these newer strategies around machine learning and, and streaming telemetry that goes through. Like that's part of net DevOps and, and there's areas to go through. And so understanding how all those things fundamentally work and being able to apply those and dive in, that's what the net DevOps engineer needs to be working towards. And automation is part of it. 
but there's a lot more to it than that. So we, we've used a lot of terms, and and I'm going to ask you in later calls, you know, mm-hmm. more details about some of these terms. But if you can, you briefly Please explain do. like what is DevOps, Dev DevOps, and then I'm assuming mm-hmm. Net DevOps is DevOps for networks. Can you kind of give us a brief idea what that what that actually implies or means? Yep, yep. So DevOps is this kind of joining of developer or development and operations that came out came about several years ago. Um, as this, the software industry was evolving and changing kind of the way that they approached it. And so in the software world, there used to be these very clear silos and sections. There was the developers that built software, and then they handed it over to um, testing and quality engineers, which were completely different people. And it was their responsibility to, to test that software. And then it was eventually handed over to operations teams whose responsibility was to take the software that some developer built and figure out how to make it run in a production data center for, for people to use and keep it up and reliable and 24-7. And for years, those were three separate teams. They were three separate areas that were kind of segmented. Um, if you were a developer, you focused on that, you cared very little about kind of what was going on in operations because it was somebody else's job. Um, and then what we've seen over the last several years is this push from, from organizations and business leaders to, to push out software faster, to make sure it's more reliable. Um, industries are, are no longer just using their software to kind of make their industry hum a little bit better. It's actually becoming fundamental to how that business works. So think about the the obvious examples, right? Facebook wouldn't be a company if there wasn't the Facebook application. Yeah. Um, same thing would go with Uber and Airbnb. And so DevOps started to, to come together as the pressure to, to combine together these development, testing, and operations roles into a single area. And so the person that was developing the application and writing the code was also responsible for making sure that it tested and passed or at least was involved in that. And then also was part of the team operating and going through. And so there was a bit more accountability and ownership that was involved. And a big drive behind that was the rate of change in these software teams. Um, We used to maybe push out new software code twice a year or once a year. Um, today, organizations are pushing out software updates once a week or once a day or many times a day as it goes through. And so that traditional model of how software would go through this pipeline um, just wasn't working. And that's where DevOps came from. And, and DevOps means a lot of things to a lot of people. But at its heart, it's this culture change and approach to how software is developed. It's it's this continuous loop of, of having idea uh, develop the idea, test the idea, deploy the idea, monitor the idea, and then kind of it continues to loop through and there's these all, all of these infinity symbols that kind of represent this <laughs> DevOps loop that goes through. So that's DevOps. And DevOps has been, I, I think everybody would admit or would agree that it's been very successful for software teams and organizations yeah. that have adopted it. And so what, what like any good idea, um, that DevOps concept is starting to be pushed outside of just software development into systems teams managing servers and platforms, into storage and security, and yes, into the networking teams as well. And so we've got a lot of organizations, and I actually see this quite regularly, where the, the DevOps team is managing um, 
elements of the, the systems and the servers that are running the applications in the data center and they're doing such a bang up job that they're now being tasked to absorb the operation and main management of the network that's under the hood as well because now the network has become this bottleneck for changes and same thing goes with storage platforms and security in these other areas. And so for me, when I say net DevOps, it's, it's indicating that taking the way that software is developed and the tools and the techniques and the practices and just trying to directly apply those to networking um, won't likely work, right? It's a little bit different to write uh, a web application or a Java middleware application or manage some highly scalable database. Um, that's different than managing the, the network that underlays your data center, underlays your campus. Um, it's not so different that we can't learn anything from the DevOps people, but we have to take a concept like configuration management and say, okay, in the software space, when they deploy a new um, system that's going to run an application, today, most of the time, they're, they destroy an old one and they completely bring up a brand new one and then they move their workloads over. And so very rarely does anybody have to patch or update uh, an in-play or a running server. They just get destroyed and they're recreated. It's this immutable infrastructure is what that's called, is when something needs to be changed, you don't update, you just destroy and start over. Okay. Well, that's great in the server space and in the software space. That's a bit tougher in the network space when we're talking about we have one network that goes through and that network is running all of the systems and applications. And if I need to deploy a new VLAN or I need to make a change to a routing protocol, I can't just delete my routing protocol and bring up a new one. Or I can't just delete my network and bring up a new one. Um, you need to, you need to adjust the framework that's there. So we need to figure out how do we, how do we apply the same basic types of principles over there for configuration management and maintaining kind of the running state of the network and keeping it healthy and, and operating it for consistency, um, in ways that kind of fit into the networking structure. And that's, for me, that's net DevOps is thinking about, okay, I want to have this DevOps results, but I need to fit it into what the requirements for networking are. And so, that's net DevOps. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's great. I, I'm going to ask you more about that in a separate call because I think we won't have enough time. I want to I want to get to a demo because mm -hmm. it'll be great to see a demo. But before we do that, sure. Hank, um, we've got a really clear path in traditional networking. So CCNA, CCMP, CCIE, and I can go and take specific courses and pass specific exams. So I have this clear path of you know certifications. Um, for traditional routing and switching. Does something like that exist from Cisco for this net DevOps sort of path or network automation? Is there any courses from Cisco that I as a network engineer can take or is it still too early for that? It's a great question. I would say the, the, the very clear path and evolution that we have for core networking skills from up through the, the, the CCNA and to CCIE program, I mean, that's, a, that's an evolution over, what, 20 years? Yeah. Um, and an industry that kind of evolved and it's changed over time. Um, this, this addition of network engineer or network automation and programmability um, is still very new. I mean, it, we've been talking about it for several years, but in the grand scheme of things, it's only, I would say now, starting to gain kind of widespread adoption for most organizations and most network engineers. Um, and so we're still in the early days of that. If you look at the, the, 
the roadmaps and the syllabus and the, the topics you need for any of the Cisco certification programs today, all the way from the NA to the IE, you're already starting to see APIs and Python and JSON topics and XML be injected into those exams. And that started yeah. several years ago. And so my personal hope is that we don't end up with a separate, a completely separate path for becoming a network engineer, a network programmability engineer. I would rather all of those just become part and parcel to becoming a network engineer. Now that said, there, there are a couple of classes and certifications or certificate programs um, through Cisco Learning focused on network programmability. So there's NP-DESI, and, and I honestly don't remember what all those letters stand for, yeah. but it's a network programmability um, coursework and then certification exam that you can take to get a certificate as a network programmability engineer. And, and those focus in on topics like Python and automation and, and using the tools that are out there. And so we, because it's this, this early stage, um, you've got that piece as well as these other areas. And I think we'll probably have specialist things around network automation and net DevOps and programmability, just like we've always had specialist certifications on firewall administration yeah. or wireless administration. We'll see that. But fundamentally, if you, in, in, if you want to be a network engineer in five years from now and you're going through these programs and you're, you're skilling up or you're just continuing to grow, you should see network automation topics just as part of your general course study. And so in addition to the fundamental CCNA books, maybe you go pick up one of the network programmability books and use that as part of your prep material. Um, you start doing classes like all of the, the great video work that you've, you've put out, David, Thanks. on adding Python into your skill sets that are there. Um, uh, I'll do a, a shameless plug for DevNet. You go visit DevNet for a little bit and take some of our learning labs and explore our sandboxes or join me for some videos on network programmability fundamentals and that's out there. Like that, that needs to be part of your studies just to be a network engineer in the future. So I'm glad you mentioned DevNet because that's a great resource. And I mean, it's not about plugging it. I mean, I think we should just mm -hmm. emphasize right now that a lot of the resources or <clears throat> correct me if I'm wrong, almost all the resources on DevNet are free. Is that right? It is, and, and I'll say that over and over again because very rarely do people believe me the first time. <laughs> but when we talk about DevNet, um, everything is free. You can become a DevNet member at no cost. Um, you can use our sandboxes, which are hosted labs with real infrastructure and real topologies across network security, collaboration, data center. Um, you can reserve our sandboxes completely free. Um, you can take our learning labs at no cost. Um, our video courses, and, and I put together 26 videos kind of as the f fundamentals of network programmability that go through things like Python and device APIs and controllers. That video content is completely free. Right. Um, talking with our support engineers and asking questions, um, that's free through our communities and through our, our WebEx team support live channels that are in there. Um, the only thing on DevNet today that you could actually pay for, if you wanted to pay for something, are what we call developer support tickets. And so this is the idea that if, if you're an, um, an engineer and you're, you're building some code to do some network automation using an API from one of our platforms, and you want one of our support engineers to kind of help you troubleshoot your code or kind of dive in um, at that level of very kind of one-on-one -on -one support for your project or your platform, 
that's the only thing on DevNet today that has any cost associated to it. And that's even, that's a minimal cost. And our only target market for those are enterprises kind of at the, the putting into production phase. All of our stuff around enablement and, and um, learning and exposure and documentation, all of that is, is 100% completely free. I mean, that's great to know. So I didn't know that. So firstly, before we go any further, the, the URL to get to DevNet is developer.cisco.com. Is that right? That is absolutely correct. That's the place to jump off for. Um, and, and actually, that's, that's a decent place to show at least something because we can go through. So I'll, I'll go ahead here and bring up DevNet. I think I had it staged. And so when you go to developer.cisco.com, this is what you'll see. And this is kind of the, the jumping off point for everything that I mentioned. And so on the page, we've got these buttons down here for what to offer. So our learning tracks, if you click on the learning tracks, this will take you over to our learning labs. And so our, our learning labs are curated sets of, of content that will walk you through how to, how to access and use our programmability pieces. And so our tracks are kind of multi-module segments that dive into a particular topic. And so you can see we've got things on digital network architecture, ACI, NXOS, um, iOS XE. And there's a whole range of, of topics you can dive into through our, our learning labs that are there. Um, back over on DevNet, I mentioned the video course. And so if you're uh, not sick of hearing my voice and watching me go for a little bit, you can dive in. Let me find which tab this opened up in. There it is. Um, you can dive into the network programmability video course. And so this is kind of a curated set to, to help jumpstart network engineers into this programmability plan. And so they sat me in front of a green screen for a couple of weeks and kind of recording some content that kind of dives through a lot of these areas and introduce topics like Python and APIs. And I actually have um, on the agenda for this fall to add additional content into here on new topics that have kind of come up since we initially launched. So this, this will continue to get new, new material that's there. And all of these pieces are completely free. And then as you'll notice, one of the things you can do up on DevNet is we don't give out certifications on DevNet, but you can definitely earn badges to show the great work that you've done. So if you complete the programming fundamentals element, you pass the little five question quiz at the end, you can earn a badge and then you can share those on social media or with your, with your um, employers to show the great work that you've done through there. Um, one of the most exciting elements of DevNet that I like to tell everybody about are our sandboxes. And so our, our sandboxes are these hosted labs. And so one of the, the biggest challenges I think a lot of network engineers have today, and whether the, this is whether you're a student just getting started or you're a long-term network engineer and you're just trying to figure out how to um, add these skill sets, is finding a place to experiment and play. Um, many of us for years have been dumpster diving or trolling eBay and Craigslist for old kit um, because that's what we needed to. Well, today, one of the challenges or one of the things we try to do in DevNet is to, to reduce that barrier of entry and make it easier. And so our development sandboxes here go across all the technologies. And so you can reserve a sandbox for an ACI network or a, a, ne a Nexus network or a complete voice system if you're going down kind of the voice area. And these sandboxes are completely free. You get remote access to them, full admin access, and then you can go in and you can experiment with Python scripts or Ansible automation um, going through here. And we've built, a, and I've built a lot of these. 
Um, I'll scroll down just a bit and just see some of the featured. So we've got a brand new DNA Center um, sandbox that you can dive into. We've got um, elements on ACI and Kubernetes. This is actually one that we recently launched that I've, I'm spending a lot of time on these days is how does ACI, Cisco's SDN in the data center, interface and work with container systems like Kubernetes that are there. And so you can join and get a completely functional system and explore those. And all of these sandboxes are completely free. There's no cost to reserve any of these or use them. You can just take them um, and kind of experiment with our sample code or go completely off the, the, the reservation and, and use whatever you want to do and, and experiment with what's in there. That's an amazing resource. So, I mean, I, just to, I, you're going to be able to show us a demo, is that right, in a moment? But um, yep. I, I just wanted to say, I mean, that's a great resource. So we, not only do we get free videos from DevNet um, and we've got these amazing labs, but I just wanted to inject this about there's there's support because the problem I think for any person who's starting down this journey is like, what happens if I don't know what I'm doing and I get stuck? So mm -hmm. I can actually reach out to engineers at DevNet and get, and get support from Cisco. I mean, that's an amazing resource. Um, yeah, and there's a couple of ways to do that. Right on the DevNet page, you see in this lower in the corner, it says chat with us. Yep. If you can use that to join a, a WebEx team space, which is filled with our support engineers, many of our, our development engineers, as well as other customers and partners. And it's a very active room that you can just ask questions. And, and more often than not, you'll actually have other, other fellows like yourself, other engineers just chime in with suggestions and answers. And then we've also got community forums that you can dive into. And if those channels don't work, as I mentioned, there are the, the paid support tickets where you can get kind of assigned an engineer that will help walk you through your, your problems and issues. That's, that's, that's an amazing resource. I mean, I didn't even know about the paid support thing. So, I mean, mm -hmm. it, it's great because you've got training, you've got labs, and you've got uh, like a forum, you know, where you can get help. Plus, you can go all the way to paid support. But... Uh, Hank, would it be possible for you to demo a lab on DevNet and show us, you know, what it can do and, you know, how it how it helps? Thanks for joining us on today's podcast. Be sure to visit David's YouTube channel at David Bumble, where you can subscribe and watch all of his videos. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. Catch you next time on the David Bumble Networking Podcast. All the best. Take care.